0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning. Everyone's probably wondering, where are you going next? We finished 3 John. We're going to start the book of Romans this morning. I'm excited about that. And so let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this morning. That you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. Father, that You would speak to us through Your Holy Spirit. That You would illuminate Your Word. That You would allow us, Lord, to draw closer to You tonight, uh, this morning. Lord, draw closer to You, Lord, in our own personal walks and our understanding of Your Word. Father, would You have Your way in us this morning. We thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 1, we're going to be covering uh, verses 1 to 13 this morning. I titled this morning's message, Paul's letter to the Romans. This particular letter of Romans has been referred to by some as the constitution of our faith. It's also been called the flagship Of Paul's letters. It's a very important book in the New Testament. It's actually very critical for us as believers to really understand the book of Romans and the contents that are in it. But before we get into this letter, I want to give you some background on the life of Paul. I want to give you a little bit of insight into the ministry of the Apostle Paul because I think it helps us in our understanding as we read through this letter. The Apostle Paul, who is also known in Scripture as Saul of Tarsus, remember he had that name Saul, and he was also referred to as Paul or the Apostle Paul. This man... And he was a man that was used by God greatly. Out of the 27 New Testament books that we have, the Apostle Paul for sure wrote 13 of those. And if you believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews, which I do, uh, then he wrote 14 of the 27 New Testament books. Obviously, that was under the leading of the Holy Spirit as God directed him as he wrote these letters. But 14 of the 27 New Testament books. Pretty incredible. The letter to the Romans is pretty much an indisputed book when it comes to who the author is. One... Paul himself states in the first verse that he was the author or the writer. Actually, the Holy Spirit is the author, but that he was the one that penned the letter. The main theme of Romans, I believe, is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, some have put the theme as being justification by faith, which the book of Romans really brings that truth out. But I believe that the Gospel of Jesus Christ encompasses all that we're going to learn about this Gospel in this letter. Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, he says that the Gospel message that he preached that it came to him by direct revelation from God. In other words, Paul didn't just kind of pin this down and figure this all out and write what he thinks it was, but by direct revelation from God that he received it. In Galatians 1.11 it says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the Gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for neither... For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the Gospel message that we're going to learn about as we go through the pages of Romans here, it's by direct revelation that Paul penned all of these truths that we're reading. This is from God to you and I. Saul was born in a a Roman city of Tarsus. Now, Tarsus was a seaport town. Actually, uh, Jonathan and Katie, I'm not sure how this was, but maybe on a clear day, if you looked out your window, you might have been able to see the coast where Tarsus was, where they're living there on the island of Cyprus. Uh, That's the location just probably looking north. There, the city of Tarsus, this Roman city that the Apostle Paul or Saul at the time that he was raised in this city. It's believed that he was probably raised in a very wealthy or well to do family. And the reason why is because he had the means and the ways to be able to to come under the teaching of a, a man by the name of Gamaliel who. Had a reputation amongst the Jews of his day, and even in the Mishnah, which are some of the Jewish writings, it makes this quote about him that he was one of the greatest teachers in all of the annals of Judaism. That was the man that the Apostle Paul had the privilege of being taught under and to learn from. Paul's or Saul's father was a Jew. We don't know about his mother, but his father was and he was a Pharisee. And and so Saul was raised in this this city here, going every year like every Jew did, went into Jerusalem for the feast. He was taught under Gamaliel. He was this man that was very educated in the laws of God. He had a father that was probably very strict with him in his raising of his son. Paul was also not only a Jew himself, but he was also a Roman citizen. And all of this was going to be really God preparing a man for maybe one of the, uh, one of the greatest works that we can read in church history. The works that Paul and the ministry that Paul was involved in, it required these things. And what that really tells me is, is that God, even before Saul was saved, even before he got saved on that road, God was already preparing him. God already saw and knew how He was going to use him. And all of his past and all of those things, it was all preparation for how God was going to use him. Think of your own life. Think of your B.C. days. Think of who you were before Christ and the things that God had worked in you, good and bad, the things that, that, that were in your life that maybe weren't so good and how God is able to turn it around and use it for His glory. Many of us have testimonies of some past that were pretty checkered and pretty not so good of a past. But God has turned it around and used it for his glory, to see, to be able to minister to another person. That's what God is able to do. We can uh, glean a few more of some insights about the Apostle Paul. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. In these verses here, Paul, in a sense, gives his resume. And it tells us a little bit about uh, a little something more about this man. He writes in verse four, he says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I, the more so. If anyone could have confidence in his flesh, Paul says, I could do more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, every Jewish boy that was a practicing Jew and raised that way, that would have been what the law prescribed and Paul was. And so this was part of his resume. He was of the stock of Israel. He was a Jew. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which would have been, he was a Benjamite. He was of the, one of the elite tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning that he practiced the law. He sought after the law to live and to practice his faith. Concerning the law, Paul says, I was a Pharisee, uh, which was that sect of Judaism that sought to live up to the law as best they could. Concerning zeal, he says, I persecuted the church. He he actually thought that he was doing God a, a great service when he was out persecuting the Christians because to him it was what we might call like a cult. This was something that was coming up against Judaism, his faith. And so he was out trying to eliminate those Christians that were, he was zealous for it. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Paul says, "I was blameless, at least in his own mind. He thought he was blameless in the sense that he lived it up. He lived up to that law as best he could." Saul was possibly saved sometime around 33 A.D., uh, which. This puts that on the timeline not too long after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Paul was saved on a dirt road as he was traveling to the city of Damascus. And we're told that he was going there and on his way there to go seek out the synagogues that were there in Damascus and to find the Christians that were worshiping there and to bring them bound back to Jerusalem to stand trial. That was his zealousness to try and stamp out these Christians. After his conversion, we know from Acts that Paul had three missionary journeys that he was a part of from Acts chapter 13 to Acts chapter 21. You can read about those three missionary journeys that the Apostle Paul took. That covered a span of about 10 years. For 10 years, Paul went on three different missions trips. He spent the latter years of his ministry under a Roman imprisonment in Acts 23 to verse or to chapter 28, you can read about Paul's imprisonment as he made his travel there to Rome. It's believed that during this period of house imprisonment that he was under there in Rome, that after about two years that Paul was released, now, history tells us that uh, that he did make it uh, to Spain where he took the gospel there. He was later arrested there in Spain and taken back to Rome. And he would remain there in a in a Roman prison until his death. It's also believed from church history that the Apostle Paul was beheaded by the Roman Emperor Nero in 67 to 68 A.D. Now, that puts Paul at about age 61 to 62 years old. I don't know if that means anything for me as I'm approaching 60, but I might have a couple years left, I guess. But if these dates are accurate... And dates are always kind of funny when you're trying to find this timeline, but if they're accurate, then Paul's ministry lasted <clears throat> excuse me for about 34 years. Five to six of those 34 years Paul spent in prison. Isn't that interesting? That, that God could take this man, this incredible man of being used of him and allow him to remain in a prison For six of his ministry years, he had his own prison ministry. But Paul's perspective on prison was whether I'm in prison or out of prison, God has a ministry for me. And so while Paul was in prison, he was looking to preach the Gospel to the Roman guards. And he was looking for opportunities within that even to write letters, the prison epistles and send them out to the brothers and to the churches. You see, no circumstance in life ever stopped Him. It shouldn't stop us. Sometimes you think, well, God, if I could just get this all sorted out in my life, then I'll really get busy about the work of the Lord. No matter what circumstance you're in, whether it's your job, whether, you know, whatever it might be, we should be saying, God, You have me here right now. God, would You use me? Would You give me a purpose and a use for Your kingdom? That was the mindset of the apostle Paul. The date of this letter to the Romans is believed to be somewhere around also around 57 to 58. A. It was written from the city of Corinth. While Paul was on his third missionary journey, and he was there in the city of Corinth, he wrote this letter to the Romans. Now, Paul had never been to Rome before, but it's believed that the believers that were there in the church that had started in Rome was probably a result of the day of Pentecost. We're told that there were Roman citizens that had come to Jerusalem for the feast. Jews that had come from Rome. And those that came from Rome, that got saved. Remember those 3,000 plus people? that gave their life to Christ on the day of Pentecost. They all went back to their cities. And many of those probably went back to Rome and a church began. But Paul always had these friendships that were there in Rome. You can read about that list of names in the last chapter of this letter to the Romans. He lists all these various names of people that he knew there in Rome and the church that was there. But Paul had this strong desire to go to Rome. He wanted to uh, go and he wanted to even see and to minister to the believers that were there. But one of the things, and and I've said before when I started 1 John that 1 John is one of my favorite books, and it is. But I'm going to say right up at the top of my list, the Book of Romans, is another one of my favorites in the New Testament. And I believe that it's a foundational book, as I've already said, to our Christian faith. How many of you have ever been taught? I'm not saying ever read, but how many of you have ever been taught all 16 chapters of the book of Romans? Raise your hand. Okay, so not everybody in here has been through the book of Romans. I want to say that the book of Romans is foundational to our Christian walks because of the sub- subject matter that we find in it. It speaks about our faith as Christians. It, it, it really will ground us in our salvation. It, it talks about our security and really ministers to us the security that we can have in Christ. Christ. It talks to us about victory over sin and about the walk in the Spirit. And it gives us a whole whole bunch of practical truths that we need to be able to hold on to. It's, It's a very foundational book to our Christian faith. Some of the key words that we find in this letter that we see repeated quite often, one of them is the word faith. 39 times we find in these 16 chapters the word faith. The other word that we see is the word righteousness. And we see that word also 39 times in the book of Romans. The third word that is, I believe, an important word and used frequently is the word Gospel. 13 times the good news of Jesus Christ is spoken of in this letter. The three main doctrines that we're going to cover as we go through the first eight chapters anyway of this letter is going to be justification, sanctification, and glorification. How many of you have heard those words before? Uh, They're long words, aren't they? And and when you just look at those words and go, wow, those are big words. What's that all mean? That's what's important about knowing the book of Romans is that we're going to get into and we're going to learn what justification by faith is. We're going to learn about sanctification and glorification and how those three words are very important for us to understand as Christians. Let's look at our Bibles. Chapter 1, verse 1. It starts out... By telling us who the author is, Paul, and he refers to himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated to the gospel of God. Paul saw himself as a slave. He saw himself as a bond servant some translations read, the New King James reads that way but he saw himself as a slave. And the actual Greek word there actually means a slave by choice. You see, not all slaves were mistreated. Some slaves actually really loved their masters. The Apostle Paul, in his perspective of things, saw himself. As a slave of Jesus Christ. A slave by choice. I choose to submit myself under my Master. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Hopefully we all as believers see ourselves that way. Bondservants of Jesus Christ. Paul was not only this slave, but he was also an apostle. Uh, He was an apostle just as somebody that is sent out on a special mission. Uh, Paul knew that. He knew that God had given him a particular mission, a particular purpose. And Paul's primary mission that we see in Scripture is that he was going to take the Gospel to the Gentile nations. You see, Paul was a Jew. But Paul also came to realize that God's calling upon His life was not going to be to the Jew, but it was going to be to the Gentile. You see, God had given the ministry to the Jews to Peter. But Paul had the ministry and the calling to the Gentiles to take the Gospel to them. It was on that road to Damascus, as Paul was riding there to haul off the men and women to prison that Paul got saved. And we read in chapter 9 of Acts and verse 15 that the Lord, that day that Paul got saved, He told a man by the name of Ananias who was there in Damascus, He says, I want you to go to Saul for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel. And so Paul had this long, longing desire to see his brothers, his fellow Jews be saved, but he knew that his calling was to take the gospel to the Gentile nations. When Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, when they were sent out on that first missionary journey, uh, they were sent out on a particular mission. And after the church there in Antioch, after they had fasted and prayed, we're told that the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God called Paul. God called Barnabas to go out into the mission field. Separated. To the Gospel of God is what Paul was. He was sold out to the Gospel. He knew God's calling upon his life. And in a sense, that same calling to go out and to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to take the Gospel to this world is really a calling upon every single New Testament believer. We're all called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. You may not go to a foreign land. You may not go and leave this nation to do that. But we're all called wherever you're at to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It's a calling upon our life as believers. Paul says he was separated to the Gospel of God. And normally when we think of that word separated, we think of being separated from something or separated from someone. But Paul says here that he was separated to the Gospel of of God, which means that Paul says everything else other than that everything out in this world, everything that would pull me away from that calling upon my life, I put those things aside because I'm separated for this task that God has called me to take the the Gospel message to the Gentile world. This man was sold out. Paul was committed to the Gospel. He was set apart for the Gospel. He was sold out to it completely. And he was consecrated to the work that God had given to him. Nothing stood in his way. Paul says, I'm determined not to know anything. Save Jesus Christ him. him crucified. He was tunnel vision. He knew the message. He knew what they needed to hear to be saved. And Paul was set on taking that message to this world. it's been said that the Apostle Paul had a disease. It was called the Gospel. Everywhere Paul went, he spread this disease like an infected person spreads a communicable disease. But his disease didn't spread sickness or death, but healing in life. I think that's a pretty dramatic way to look at it. That he was sold out to this. He knew that this gospel message and the power that lied within this message was able to change a man or a woman, to give them healing, to give them life. I hope that we're all convinced of that. You should be if you know him as your Lord and Savior, because he has changed you. He's given you hope. He's given you life. He's given you forgiveness of sins. And so just by that alone, you have every reason to want to tell somebody else about this good news. You have within your the very words that you can speak, words that can give life to somebody that's lost. Isn't that incredible? You, you could actually be used of God to open your mouth and they could be saved. And you could be a vessel that God could use to do that. You hold that within you. And the only thing that keeps us from doing that is that we get fearful of man. We shut our mouth. We don't open our mouth because we're afraid we don't know what to say or how to say it. And all the while, Jesus is saying, you know what, I'll give you the words. I'll put the words in your mouth. Just trust Me. In the moment that you need them, I will give you what you need to say. Most of us that have been Christians for any length of time have experienced that. And there's nothing more exciting than the day that God uses you to lead somebody to Christ. This was a man who was separated under the Gospel of God. But look at verse 2. Paul continues this focus on this Gospel. He says, which God promised before through His prophets in the Holy Scripture. He's talking about the Gospel. He's talking about the Gospel in the Old Testament. You, thought, you might say, well, I thought that was just a New Testament thing. No, the Gospel was in the Old Testament. And it's important for us to know that. That that God promised this good news. This Gospel about Jesus Christ. He promised it long before the New Testament ever came along. It wasn't that the old covenant didn't work out. And God had to come up with some new plan. so He created the new covenant and brought forth the Gospel. No, the... Old Covenant was to lead us to the New Gospel. To the New Covenant. Paul says that this good news of the Gospel was promised long before God by the prophets. God gave this good news to the prophets in the Old Testament. Moses, in Deuteronomy 18.15, said the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him, and this is capitalized, him you shall hear. He was already looking for he was already prophesying about the coming one, Jesus Christ. Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 7:14, prophesied, therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophets were already foretelling of this coming day. The prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.4 prophesied this. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but it goes on to say, but the just shall live by faith. We're going to see that in the first chapter Paul quoting Habakkuk 2:4 in the first chapter of Romans here. We see in the Old Testament Noah's ark, which is a type of Christ, that vessel. There's only one, Jesus Christ. There's one door into that ark and only one way to Christ. It was all portrayed even in the Old Testament in types and symbols. There was a serpent that, was, uh, that Moses was instructed to put up on that pole when the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness. It was that picture of Christ who was going to hang on that cross later on. And they were instructed to look to that, that pole and to look to that serpent if they wanted to live the temple, the ark, the veil, all of those things were a foreshadow of this sacrificial system that we read in the Old Testament. It was all pointing to the New Testament and to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in verse 3, concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Paul says, concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, whenever you see those words all grouped together, that's not first name, middle name, and last name. There's significance to those words, and each one has a significance. Jesus is His personal name. He's the Savior of the world. Let me ask you, is He your Savior this morning? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? The word Christ means that He's the Anointed One. The Old Testament prophets foretold of the coming One, the Anointed One, the One that was going to be the Redeemer of Israel, the Deliverer of Israel. He's the Christ. So let me ask you, is He your Redeemer? Who has redeemed you? He is also, Paul says, our Lord. And Lord just simply means Master. He's our owner. He's our ruler. And Jesus should be, in way just more than our Savior, He should be the owner, master, and ruler of our lives. But we need to ask ourselves that question. I remember as a, as a young Christian and as a teenager, hearing those words about making Christ your Lord. I thought, man, that is a big word. I mean, to, 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 for me to call Him my Lord means that I'm submitting myself to everything that He wants from me that could actually be scary to some think, wow, the whole thought of just submitting my life completely to Him as my, my Lord and my Master. But church, that's what we're supposed to do. He's not just our Savior and our Redeemer. He is also to be our Lord. That we would commit our entire lives to Him. Paul said that Jesus was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. The Messiah came through this kingly line of King David. But it also speaks here of His humanity. He was birthed into this world through the virgin birth of Mary. He came as as a king really, but He was birthed in humanity. But Jesus was more than a man, wasn't He? He goes on in verse 4, and He says He was declared to be what? The Son of God. With power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared. The Father declared that Jesus is My Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, Jesus, in a sense, was a God-man. He was all man in His humanity, but He was all God. Both of those together, He was a God-man. He was declared with power, and I believe with power by the Holy Spirit. In the spirit of holiness, He was declared to be the Son of God the father declared him that he was the son of god at his baptism the holy spirit declares that jesus is the son of god and jesus himself proved himself that he is the son of god by miracles signs and wonders that he put before this world that it all testified that He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that these proofs came by the ultimate proof by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No other proof could be greater than that. That He was going to raise Himself up that the Father was going to raise Jesus Christ up, that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The ultimate proof that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, God in flesh. He came back from the dead. Paul goes on in verse 5. He says, through Him, speaking about Jesus now, we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all, nation, among all nations, for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Through him we have received grace. How many of you are experiencing that grace this morning? How many of you received God's grace? the day that you accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Unmerited favor. God gave you as a gift your salvation and you didn't deserve it. Through Him, we have received grace, church. This grace that Paul is writing to the believers at Rome there, I believe that it's not specifically talking about the salvation grace, but the enabling grace that we need in ministry. Uh, Through Him, we as believers have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. Paul knew that his apostleship, his obedience to the faith that it was an act of God's grace in his life. He knew that apart from the Lord, apart from His grace, I can't do my ministry. I can't be this apostle to the nations. That enabling grace. How many of you are relying upon it in your ministry? Whatever you do for the Lord, are you reliant upon the grace of God in you? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, For by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul was completely dependent upon that enabling grace in his life. He's writing to these believers at Rome saying, through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience among all the nations for His name. Among whom also you are the called, Paul says, of Jesus Christ. This grace, Paul says, it wasn't just for me. It's for you also as we read God's Word and we read that this letter is being written to the Romans, it wasn't just to the Romans. It's for you also. But it also is important for us to know that if you've received this grace, then you also are the called of Jesus Christ. He called you. He drew you out of this world. He called you to Himself. He drew you. You didn't find Him. He found you. And He called you by His grace. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that incredible good news? Paul finished this greeting in verse 7. He says, "...to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace, this peace. This was all a way of a a greeting. It was a typical way to greet someone in a letter. But it means so much more than just a a simple little greeting. Those words mean so much more. He starts out by calling them beloved of God. We saw that quite a bit in 1 John, that word beloved. In other words, you and I are the objects of God's love. Isn't that incredible? You're the object of His love. He looks at you as one individual and He says, I love you. I died for you. I I gave it all up for you because I love you. You're the object of His love. We're called to be saints. We're we're the holy ones is really what the word means. We're called as believers to be set apart to God from this world. Holy ones. Saints. It's not something... I'm not a saint because of anything I've done. He calls me a saint. He calls you a saint. Grace to you. Paul knew that this grace and this peace were the two things that we desperately need as Christians to go on day in and day out. We need His grace and we need His peace in our life. The source of that grace, the source of that peace, It comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't get it any other place. You can chase it any way you want. But you'll never receive that grace. You'll never receive that peace unless it comes from the source. That source is God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. many of you here this morning feel like you're blessed and favored? You ever heard those words before? Raise your hand. Blessed and favored by God. The reason why you raise your hand is because you believe you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you are highly favored and blessed by God. It's important for us to know that, to live in that. This letter was written to the church at Rome, but it was also written to you and I. Always keep that in mind. Verse 8 says, Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Why? Why does he thank God through Jesus Christ for them? That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world? The whole world meaning the whole Roman Empire? The whole Mediterranean area? Paul is, in a sense, rejoicing. He's welling up with a thankfulness in his heart because of what he's hearing that is going on in the believers there in Rome. He had this thankful heart. And that's the first thing that he breaks out into in this letter. First. First things first. I want to thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. You know what's characteristic of a Christian? A thankful heart. You know what's uncharacteristic of a Christian? An unthankful heart. As a matter of fact, we're going to read in this first chapter that speaking about an unbeliever, it says, and neither were they thankful. You see, we have much to be thankful for. Paul was thankful for them. Just like he was thankful for the church at Thessalonica because he also wrote to them. He, he, he was praising and worshiping the Lord because he said the Word of the Lord, that it, was sounded, it sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but in every place your faith toward God went out so that we don't have to say anything. Paul was rejoicing in the church at Thessalonica. He's rejoicing in what he's hearing about the believers there in Rome because their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. My prayer for Calvary Chapel Fellowship is that we'd be a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ. That we would put feet to our faith and go out and be witnesses for Christ. That that might be spoken of of us. That we would be these, these spokespersons without shame telling people about Him. Paul goes on in verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the Gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul was a prayer warrior. He prayed for them. He prayed for the other churches. He prayed for individuals. As a matter of fact, Paul, he's always talking about, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for them and I'm praying for this. I mean, that alone brings a conviction to my heart. He was a man that was in an attitude of prayer. He was a prayer warrior. You see, Paul wasn't a religious man. Paul never was a religious man. He was a spirit-filled man. There's a big difference, isn't there? We see between somebody that's religious and somebody that knows Christ and is spirit-filled, what God wants to do in them. Paul, he didn't serve God out of duty. But he, he served God from a passion. He had this passion in his heart that was placed there by the Holy Spirit. This stirring that was inside of him that was being flamed by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't out of duty. If you serve God out of duty, it'll get boring. It won't last. You'll give up on it. You'll stop doing it. It, But if it's stirred in you by the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll do it with passion. You'll do it with everything that's within you. It makes all the difference. Paul wanted them to know that he had been praying that God by His will would provide a means and a way for Him to come to them. Uh, Paul wanted them to know that. He wrote that to them. I wanted to come to you. And I want you to know that. He says in verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. That's why he wanted to come to Rome. To get with those other believers of like mind. To disciple them. To encourage them so that they would be established, it says in verse 11. But then he goes on and he says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. In other words, I'm not just coming to give out to you. I'm coming to receive. And that's the way it should always be. We should never be a person that's only able to give out. And not receive. We need to be, I need to be encouraged by you. You need to be encouraged by me. We need to encourage one another, but we need to be encouraged by others. Paul was of the same mindset, he wasn't any different. I love getting together with the brothers and sisters in Christ, it stirs my heart. That was Paul's desire to go to Rome to see these brothers and sisters there to encourage them to establish them in the faith our men our Tuesday night men's Bible study and I believe the men that are meeting on Tuesday morning they've been doing a lot of sharpening of one another. They've been doing it by phone calls, by texting, and then when they come together, they just are there to encourage one another. If you're not a part of getting into some group of men or women in this church, you're missing out. You are missing out. Proverbs 27.17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We should desire to do that for one another and to be sharpened ourselves. Paul goes on in verse 13, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. I believe that the church there in Rome consisted of both Jews and Gentiles, as Paul is writing this letter. Paul, his desire and his plan to come to Rome was, I believe, for a twofold reason. I believe that Paul wanted to encourage and establish the believers there in their faith, he wanted to be encouraged by them also. But I believe that Paul also knew that Rome was a very strategic city. At the time of Paul's writing, the population of this city was probably over a million people that were in this city at the time. Actually, literature or some of the writings of the day used to say that all roads lead to Rome. Because it was one of those cities that all of the if you look at everything came into Rome, it was a trading city. It was all roads led to Rome. And Paul was a church planter. Paul understood uh, strategically that the city of Rome to have a healthy church in it, to have believers that were on fire and, and sharing the God, that it was strategically a place to have a healthy church. And so I believe that Paul always desired to want to come, but it doesn't tell us what was hindering him from coming. You see, we make plans, don't we? But God is ultimately the one that directs us. God is the one that puts it in motion and allows us to do it. But maybe it was just the Holy Spirit that was keeping Paul from making his way there to Rome. Maybe it was being hindered by Satan in some way or some you know some way he was just being hindered from being able to make it there. Maybe it was just the pressing needs that were around him and his ability uh, time-wise to, to make it there to Rome. For, but for whatever reason, he's writing to them saying he longed to want to come to there to be with them. But this is what we do know is that Paul eventually does make it to Rome but how he makes it to Rome was probably not in his wildest dreams of how he was going to get there he was going to be escorted there to Rome uh, by a garrison of Roman soldiers because he had appealed to Caesar they were going to take him to Rome under guard and he was going to make his way and that he would eventually make his way there to Rome And so all of what we are are reading in these 16 chapters of Romans was a letter that Paul was writing to them before he had ever even been there. He'd never even planted a church there. He just had this desire to strengthen the believers that were there in Rome. Because this is a very important place for these believers to flourish. The Gospel's going to go out in every direction from this city. It's very strategic, I believe, in Paul's mind, as far as a church plant and a healthy church. You can read ahead as we go through. I had plans to go to verse 17 today. I'm glad I didn't. We never would have made it. But next week, we're going to look at the three I am's of Paul. Paul says, I'm a debtor. Paul says, I am ready to preach the Gospel. And Paul also says, and I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. God uses those who yield themselves to Him. If you feel like you're not being used of the Lord, you just simply need to yield yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, would You use Me? If you have gifts that God has given to you and you know what those gifts are and you're not using them, you're being disobedient. You're, not, you're, 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 you're You're shoving it under the rug. You're not using what God has gifted you with so that you can bless others with your gift. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, Thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.